Good evening. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now bring you Carmelite Conversations with Mark Danis and Francis Harry. Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian voice in your home. So glad to be back with you again this week. We're going to pick up on a program that we actually began last week uh, entitled 15 Days of Prayer with Father Marie Eugène of the Child Jesus. Um, as we mentioned last week, Father Marie Eugène was recently, and I mean as recently as November of 2016, beatified by the Catholic Church. And so his writings um, have begun to receive a great deal more attention, although for us in Carmel, uh, his writings have always been worthy of our attention, primarily because he focuses on two main topics, the, the importance and the need for developing a deep life of interior prayer and reliance in that life of prayer on the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, let me begin, as I do each week, by saying hello to my co-host in studio, Francis Harry. Francis, how are you today? <laughs> I'm hanging in here and um, really profiting from studying what Father Marie Eugène has offered to us in this book, 15 Days of Prayer with Father Marie Eugène. Um, and I think uh, we're on day eight is where we're going to start tonight. And uh, this is one of those books, Mark, that people would want to go back to over and over because uh, it is just full of great spiritual gems that you want to really nourish and put into practice. And um, I feel like I'm living it out <laughs> and I'm hoping that I'm growing. <laughs> well, I agree. It's absolutely something that our listeners should want to go back to time and time again. It's a very brief title, uh, but nonetheless, it includes an awful lot, as so often uh, is the case when we talk about prayer. It is the little gems that really matter and that seem to carry uh, so much weight for us. Well, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, ask you, Francis, if you would, as you do each week so wonderfully, lead us in prayer as we begin this conversation on prayer. I'd be happy to. And this prayer actually comes from the book, and it's on the chapter dealing with the Holy Spirit. And I think it's always good to call on the Holy Spirit as you begin a talk or a, a teaching. So um, let us get quiet and let's turn our faces to the interior cell of our heart, the tabernacle of our heart, and look toward the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, create within me the bonds of intimacy that I need, that I desire, that you need to accomplish your task. May this breath of the Spirit of love enter within me, possess me, and vivify me as he vivifies the church. May this breath, the Holy Spirit, make me fulfill my mission. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Francis, your prayer reminds me of the way we closed last week's uh, conversation on uh, Father Marie Eugène, and it actually um, it seems very consistent, if I may, to begin our conversation today with that same quote from uh, his book entitled 15 Days of Prayer. Uh, this is a St. Paul's Press publication. It is on our website, and uh, certainly if um, you are looking for a very good, very compact, about 120 pages, 105 pages actually, um, uh, title on prayer, I can highly recommend this one. Here is a reiteration of his 
emphasis on the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. From his personal writings, he says, Union with the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. No, in our daily work, human techniques have their importance. But the first thing to do is to bond ourselves with the one who is at work. This bond is built by an act of faith, but only repeated acts will truly fashion intimacy, friendship with him. In order to work, we need to be with him always, to have a sort of reflex, to check in with him each time we want to do something. May he always be here, and may we always be with him. That was Father Marie Eugène writing, actually in 1960. Uh, But um, where we're going to begin today is to pick up on the 15 days of prayer. We're actually in the eighth day, Francis, and um, I've titled this from from the early uh, section of the book, In This Process, My Gift to God Must Ultimately Become a Permanent Disposition. And so the Carmelite saints all remind us that God will never sanctify us without our permission. That is critical. This is true both because, you know, God wants to honor our freedom and also because we would not survive this process without our willing consent. So our consent must be a total act of self-giving. We are free to give back. And indeed, it is the greatest act of love that we can perform in this act of total self-giving. I know Father Maria Yushen said the perfect act of love is self-giving. So if you want to just, you know, uh, dwell on that phrase alone, the perfect act of love is self-giving. That is very, very, very deep. Yeah, and of course, our Lord himself teaches us that from Luke twenty three forty six, We read, Lord, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Of course, this is uttered from the cross, uh, his most dire moments uh, in the midst of his passion and uh, sacrifice and offering of himself. Our Lord could only commend himself. I commend my spirit into your hands, O Lord. Uh, from Father Marie Eugène's own writings, again, focusing on this theme of self-giving, he says, an essential disposition of Christ, the complete gift of self, is also an essential disposition of every Christian. And from the authors who collected the various uh, writings um, and edited this book, we hear our self-giving is, in fact, the highest expression of our liberty. Now, I found that very striking, Francis. I could see by your nodding head that you (laughs) did as well. It seems counterintuitive that surrender, sacrifice, self-giving would, in fact, lead to freedom. But, in fact, it does. Yes, it's so beautiful. And, um, you know, this total act of self-giving is not only the highest expression of our love, but it's also that supreme expression. And so as we die to self and live, let let the life of Christ, let Christ live in us, then we too will join into that perfect gift of self-giving. Well, of course, Teresa Vavala, our great mother in Carmel, tells us, God does not force our will. He takes what we give him, but he does not give himself completely until we give ourselves completely to him. And of course, this is what Father Eugene meant by this idea of total freedom. Total freedom, obviously, is total disposition of ourselves in prayer and in all the stages of our life to God. And when as Teresa says, when we give ourselves completely, then God will give himself back completely. This is not some superficial, as is 
often the case. It's this wonderful text uh, titled The Imitation of Christ from Thomas, Thomas de Kempis is often Im, Im, um, misunderstood. The imitation is misunderstood. This is not a superficial imitation of Christ. It's the imitation of his act of self-giving to the Father, and it requires our complete self-renunciation of will. A very high order. We should not minimize the fact that as we go through these 15 days, not only are our authors giving us deeper and deeper insight into the stages of prayer, but they're sort of raising the stakes each time with what our commitment has to be. And of course, this act of self-giving and the renunciation of our will should should help us zero in when we pray the Our Father and we come to the last line, thy will be done um, in the middle of the prayer there, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So uh, the perfect self-giving, the perfect uh, gift of your will uh, as in the Our Father. Our next section uh, is section nine. It's entitled, My Spiritual Development Progresses Under God's Constant Gaze. In the humdrum of ordinary life. <laughs> so this, yeah. of course, reminds me of St. Therese, because we always think of St. Therese, a little flower, as the uh, extraordinary saint who lived a very ordinary life. Uh, and so I keep coming back to uh, things I've learned from Therese. But uh, it does happen in the very fabric of our day-to-day joys and sorrows and struggles And, you know, I know a lot of people struggle with the idea of monasticism these days. They they think these people go off and waste their time. But, you know, they they sit there and wonder, how can can people just leave the world like that? How how can they live in silence and obscurity? Well, you know, uh, they don't have the teaching to understand. Uh, But, you know, if we look at Christ's life, for 30 years, he was in the hidden life. It was only uh, the last three years of his life that were his public life. So, you know, he sought the solitude. He sought this obscurity of Nazareth. And, you know, think how little we know of those 30 years. Yeah, with the exception of his one uh, uh, moment, of course, uh, uh, getting lost from his parents and being found later in the temple at age 12. I I believe history and scripture um, uh, teaches us that. There are not many instances of his early life. He lived in solitude, relative solitude. I believe, frankly, this was done to teach us the value of solitude, of silence, of the simple aspects of life. We know he was his father's aide as a carpenter and would have assisted Joseph in the many responsibilities just to maintain a living. Um, there isn't much spectacular that has seemed to occur to him in those first 30 years. Um, and again, as you mentioned, St. Therese of Lisieux, this idea of simplicity of life, it is the simple things in life. It is those uh, apparent insignificant aspects of our life where true spirituality is found. We don't have to go and do something grand and grandiose. We're going to talk a little bit more about that because it is so often uh, misunderstood. Uh, but I want us to draw our attention first to this quote Francis on uh, page 62, where he talks about this ordinary life uh, in Nazareth. Um, Father Marie Eugene says, people would seemingly like to do extraordinary things, make use of a marvelous power in order to do good and help everyone. Life in Nazareth was not like that. It was ordinary life with its little incidents, its monotony, almost nothing. And under that ordinary life, God's intense life was hidden. 
a life of faith, of love, of hope as well. For this ordinary atmosphere did not keep hope from being alive and how intensely. Mary and Joseph lived in darkness, but their hope was powerful, alive, yearning for fulfillment. They knew very well that he, Jesus, would do everything. And I really pondered that last line. You know, <laughs> They knew very well he, Jesus, would do everything. And I, and I think about Elizabeth saying to Mary, blessed is he, she who believed, you know, uh, to believe and, and to trust and to know, you know, he will take care of everything. You just well, got to turn it over. <laughs> yeah, I know this was titled actually in the book. The actual title was The Humdrum of Ordinary Life. I chose to use the earlier caption, which was more closely associated with the terms, my spiritual development progresses under the constant gaze of God. It instills that idea of faith. God is hidden then and deep within us, even as we live out the simplicity and, as I say, the apparent insignificance of our daily lives. And again, I'd like to suggest that this is really the central theme, Francis, of the conversations you and I have been having for six years now. Yeah. Right? Um, we're, all, we're approaching the seventh year. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the simple fact of the matter is that we are both seculars. We live in the world. We have responsibilities. We have our burdens and our trials, some of which we shared today before we came on the air. But we must remember... God does not so much want to dramatically change our circumstances, according to the authors. Instead, he wants to, Francis... Allow God to transfigure <laughs> our condition. <laughs> yes. And, and by that, I understand that God wants to use our circumstances both... Uh, to benefit us and to transform us. Certainly he may intervene and change the situation, the circumstances themselves, if we if we ask him to. And he's famous for pulling, making good come out of the bad. So. That's the most important thing. God will use it to our benefit, even if uh, in our somewhat limited perspective, and we uh, discussed this in the first week, you know, we have a limited view of the world and a limited understanding in terms of the eternal consequences of our circumstances. God isn't bound by that. And so what we sometimes perceive as a setback, uh, he understands is to our benefit. Think again of the preparation brought about in the simplicity of that little child in Bethlehem, the simple carpenter of Nazareth. Nothing particularly spectacular there, but Jesus eventually changed the world. Francis, if you wouldn't mind, give us some insight on what Father Eugène has to say about that. Well, um, this is what the authors commenting on Father Marie Eugène say. Um, if we sometimes take the monotony to be mediocrity, let us not be afraid to give it to Jesus so that he can raise it up to the extent of God's plan. And again, our part day by day is to follow Jesus and to cooperate by believing and loving by our trusting gaze. I, I really like that, to focus on the trusting gaze. God is gazing at us, and we need to gaze back. Yeah, and again, he says this part about uh, Mary and Joseph knew that God would do everything. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to fulfill our responsibilities, listeners. Obviously, we understand we each have responsibilities we have to fulfill in our lives, our obligations. But we shouldn't uh, sort of evaluate the progress we're making in the spiritual life on the on the basis of the circumstances that may surround that life, that whether they be positive or negative. Sometimes we misinterpret positive things as, oh, I'm making great progress. Well, maybe not. Maybe you're unwilling to accept what it is that God wants to give you by virtue of a trial, uh, and so He won't um, He won't challenge you. Remember. As uh, Teresa said, unless we give ourselves completely to him, he will not give himself completely to us. So 
with that, we finish the ninth uh, stage of this 15 uh, stages of prayer. And now we move on to the 10th stage, which we've titled, Along with Faith, There Must Also Be the Virtue of Hope. Father Marie Eugène was very adamant about people understanding the significance of the virtue of hope. I would argue, in fact, hope is probably the least understood of the three theological virtues. Francis, faith, hope, and love. We seem to understand faith, belief in God. Love is the expression of charity lived out in patience and kindness and bearing our burdens and so forth. But what is hope exactly? I think it's the engine that keeps us moving. (laughs) I know Father Eugene says... um, What is hope in the spiritual life? He says, the virtue that keeps us going. It does for us what wings do for birds. It keeps us moving toward God. It makes us progress in the spiritual life. We move toward God in as much as we hope. So I I really like that. And then he goes on to explain um, this mechanism of hope and how hope um, makes us go toward God. And And he says in two ways. He says, number one, by moving. And he says, by moving, I am longing for God. So I go to look for him. The child who wants to hug his mother goes toward her. So moving is one way. The other way, someone wants to go toward God and cannot do so. So during prayer, for example, my mind finds nothing. My will is powerless. I cannot reach God. So what do I do? He says, I sigh and I yearn. Now, now, how does that translate? Well, it, it, there's these two attitudes of hope, a positive attitude of moving toward God. And the second is this attitude of waiting, that sighing, the yearning, waiting in patience. And he said the second movement, an attitude of patience, is usually the stronger during silent prayer. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a good insight on our prayer life. It is the realization that more often than not, uh, God may be silent. You know, he does the work, as we just described a moment ago, at a much deeper level within us. It's often hidden to our senses, to our mind, to our ability to perceive. And so it takes a great deal of hope. What is hope, as manifested in this uh, explanation of it as a virtue? Uh, well, it, it does inspire, it prods, it pushes us and instills in us this desire. That's the principal word, desire. It is a desire, though, for something we don't possess. St. Paul right. said, if I had it, what is there to hope for? I right. already possess it. So hope is that inherent desire for God, which, yes, leads us to seek him actively, but also leads us to wait for him patiently when he doesn't manifest himself, when he doesn't reveal himself as quickly or in the way that we might want him to. Yeah, that's when we say, God, we know you've got the plan, and I don't know what it is, but I trust in you. <laughs> and, it, you know, uh, that is an opportunity for us to expand our capacity, our ability to hope. So it's uh, Longing for God and waiting for God is a good thing. Um, it helps us grow. Well, St. Augustine expressed this so well in a quote that's very well known by everybody uh, who's uh, at all familiar with Augustine when he said, You made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That is the, the, the uh, most profound statement, I think, of the human condition. <laughs> we are a restless people by very our very nature. We are a restless people. And this is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. We are constantly seeking, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of my life? 
all encapsulated in uh, St. Augustine's words here, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. In Romans 8.28, there's something similar from St. Paul. For the creation was subjected to futility. I'll explain that in a moment. Not willingly, of course, but because of him who subjected it in hope. St. Paul says, creation was subjected to futility. Why futility? Why does Paul use that very powerful and perhaps discouraging word? Well, the fact of the matter is what Paul is saying is life without God is futile. If we are Mm -hmm. seeking our rest of our souls and our hearts in something other than God, in anything other than God, we will find nothing but futility. Our hearts are restless, God, until they rest in thee. And so if we possess anything but God, that is the obstacle to our hope. And John of the Cross teaches us this. The soul must be detached from all that is not God in order to be united to God. Possession of any kind is indeed opposed to hope. And this virtue, as St. Paul said, has as its object what we do not possess. Well, I also like, and I'm going to just step back one um, section in that uh, particular chapter, uh, because we are going to come to Mary, as inevitably we would, Francis, in a discussion right. about prayer and Carmel. Um, but the uh, prayer that is uh, offered by the authors of the book, Oh, Mary, thank you for not granting my prayer. <laughs> you know, what the authors are talking about is this very idea that if we're seeking our rest, our, our ultimate um, meaning in anything other than God, as St. John of the Cross tells us, we will be led to a sense of futility. We will be led to the realization. And it happens, by the way, listeners, in our prayer life. It happens constantly. We are constantly attempting to define God and finding that God will not allow himself to be defined by our limited capacity. And when that happens, there's this experience, there's this moment, this encounter of almost futility, a sense that either our own life or our prayer life are somehow uh, off course. And um, the authors remind us that often we'd be uh, more uh, appropriate, we'd be uh, praying more appropriately to simply thank Mary for not having answered the prayer that we uttered. Um, I'm going to let us move on, Francis, if you don't mind. We've got about a minute before our break, and uh, we should move into this because it's a nice transition, keeping with St. John of the Cross on this virtue of hope under the title of the 11th day of prayer, which was trusting to the point of audacity. I love that title. Yeah, it reminds me of a book I read on St. Therese of the Little Flower called Holy Boldness. Mm. So the point of audacity, awesome. Well, you know, hope is essentially the practice of spiritual poverty and the practice of spiritual childhood, which, of course, we relate to St. Therese. You know, greatness in heaven is not measured by any of our accomplishments or any of our feats. As Therese says, everything we do is tainted. But rather, it is measured by our littleness, by our audacious trust in God's goodness, and by the love that is the basis of that trust. Well, we're discussing a very mature uh, level of spirituality in this 11th day of prayer with Father Marie Eugène. We are going to take a break. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about this trusting to the point of audacity. Just a quick reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back.
starry night gives way to dawn. I will breathe it in and sing this song. Thank you. Listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to Carmelite Conversations with Mark Danis and Francis Harry. Well, as we um, come back, we were uh, speaking about, again, Father Marie Eugène of the Child Jesus and his 15 days of prayer. We're in the 11th day of those 15 days of prayer, and we're talking about this very sort of mature understanding of the virtue of hope as an expression of spiritual poverty 
or what St. Therese of Lisieux might have referred to as spiritual childhood. I say a spiritual maturity, a realization that um, we are and um, have become children of God, but a further realization that if we wish to grow in union with him, it will only be through our acceptance and continued and total dependence on him. In our spiritual journey, of course, what can hinder us is our desire to do something great for God, to achieve in a way that the world has taught us is admirable. This is counterintuitive, that we should achieve something, but here in the spiritual journey, it's not that way. In our prayer life, we want to find God, but we often want to find him where we would like him to be. Right. We want him to be the God we want him to be. This, of course, is another reason why he appears to hide from us. It's not that he's hiding. It's not that he's playing hide and seek with us. We're seeking in the places he doesn't exist, either in the manifestation of some worldly aspiration that we have or some spiritual admirable, although it may be a spiritual definition of him as imparting to us a certain gift. Um, these are not the places that we're going to find God. We'll find him where he is. Yes, and John the Cross tells us, go hide where he's hiding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, in our spiritual life, we want to define the course that leads to God. Um, but this is sometimes what will lead us astray, our own ideas of how God is working. And we don't think like God, so that's we got to remember that. It's only when we come to the full realization of our true poverty that we will stop struggling and allow God to do his work. Let God be God. And this is the true course of the spiritual path to God. So we have to recognize our poverty and dependence on God to recognize the truth of who we are, that we're made in his image and likeness. Yeah, these are realities. These aren't merely words. Um, and again, I'm reading from Father Marie Eugène. Poverty, he says, makes hope grow, and it makes hope in God alone grow. Poverty does not mean having nothing, by the way. Admittedly, essentially, it is not being attached to what it is that we need. We need certain things, but it's our attachment to these things, our demand, our expectation of God that he provision them that leads to the absence of spiritual poverty, that leads to attachment as opposed to detachment. In our spiritual life, we would like to guide ourselves according to our own plans, do something for God, as we said. We want to earn merit. And during prayer, which this attitude uh, manifests itself, and quite often it'll hinder us in our search for the light, the desire to find God as we would like him to be, as we described before. Without me, our Lord tells us, you can do nothing, John fifteen six. Learning to remain face-to-face with God and having only the experience of our poverty is the effort we need to make. And from Marie Eugene's own writings, it is a matter of knowing how to use our poverty. This is a great line, Francis. Success in silent prayer is the success of poverty. Right. And I liked how the authors fleshed that out by saying true poverty can only be trusting because it is the experience of mercy. Without trust, hope completely impregnated with love, it would be unbearable. I was like, oh, they fleshed that out so beautifully. Yes, I Much I to ponder. And, yeah. I, and it leads us right to, you know, Therese and her model of spiritual childhood and where St. Therese tells us we can never have too much confidence in God who is so powerful and merciful. We obtain from him as much 
as we hope for. I really like to ponder that. And then, that, of course, that reminds us of Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 3 in Scripture saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. That is that spiritual poverty. Yeah, so and the, again, as Carmelites, we never want to stray too far from Scripture. We will always want to be able to uh, find support for our teaching and what we uh, discern in prayer Uh, find evidence of that in Scripture. And, of course, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit is evidence to this idea that St. Therese Lezoux speaks about, St. John of the Cross advocates, uh, and blessed uh, Marie Eugène of the Child Jesus, of course, is teaching us about the need to gain hope through the practice of poverty. Let's move on to our 12th day of prayer, or the stages of prayer, I prefer to call them. Uh, Francis, you want to give us the title? Little by little, come day, come night. And here we're thinking about um, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Yeah, the seed's life, Father Marie Eugène tells us, goes on deep underground. It is independent from outside events. This is what we were talking about, Francis, a little bit earlier. So often we are not aware Uh, of this growth that may be occurring within us, this growth of the seed under the ground. It's beyond our visual range. It's beyond our ability to know, to sense, to use our natural uh, filters, if you will, uh, of our surroundings to discern what's happening. We see in this parable, though, that from Christ, the basis of our hope, the work of spiritual growth, is primarily the work of grace. And the evening and the day and the seasons and the years and the storms and the sun do not impede this growth. The work of spiritual growth requires, in many respects, simply not getting in and messing it up. (laughs) Right. Um, I I like that uh, analogy. In fact, I'll read again from Father Marie Eugène's own words. Let us trust in the development of grace. Whatever happens through the nights, events, and vicissitudes, nothing is lost. The strength of this life continues to develop through the night. Think of the leaves that seem to be dead on the stormy evening, as if nature were grieving, and the following day we can feel a new vitality. The same thing happens during the nights which pass over the soul. Francis, you might be able to relate a little bit to this experience. (laughs) I'm living it. (laughs) (laughs) At the moment. It's tough when you're in the storm. Let's not kid ourselves. When we are in those moments, we're in that darkness and we're in that uh, time of dryness. We're uh, struggling, carrying our baggage through the desert. Um, We need to understand that they will be difficult times. But we need to also understand that something is happening below the surface. If, if, listeners, we remain faithful to prayer, it doesn't mean we always feel good. It doesn't mean we always have this uh, unwavering belief. You know, that's going to waver sometimes. It doesn't mean we always have this continual desire as expressed by hope. And certainly it's difficult to practice charity. We know that. But if we pray... That is an act that expresses both our faith, our hope, and certainly our love, especially when it's done in the midst of those most difficult and dark times. And I think we we need to remember that grace develops. It's it's by its very nature. It has this principle of life to to grow. It, it's like 
the seed. The seed bears within it this, itself this principle of growth, and so does grace. That's the dynamics of grace, is to grow, flourish. It, it's almost like the analogy we've used so many times, Francis, about the diamond that grows under pressure, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is true. Uh, what we perceive to be setbacks, failures, um, uh, a loss of our relationship with our Lord, those very difficult pressure moments really are working to create, through grace, the diamond that is within the center yeah, of the castle because that it's, is our soul. It's the nature of grace to lead the soul to divine union. The catch is how well are we cooperating and giving ourselves back to the Lord, giving him free reign over our free will. Yeah, we would encourage uh, our, our listeners, if you haven't taken the time, go back and, and listen to Francis's and my conversation on the interior castle, St. Teresa of Avila's, uh, probably her, her most famous. Yes, and, that's and the classic. Work. That's the epitome of, of all of her writings. And St. John of the Cross, of course, gives us some sense of this progression through the various stages of the development of love within us. Uh, for the most part, he mentions, this uh, journey takes place in darkness, uh, in, in unknown caverns at times, he uses that language. But there is a response, and there must be a response, that we have regardless of the circumstances. And a great example that uh, the authors pull out uh, to share with us in the midst of this is the story of St. Joan of Arc. Um, commenting, responding, if you will, to her uh, torturers and, frankly, uh, those who were interrogating her uh, when uh, asked whether she knew whether, in fact, she was in God's grace. She answered, if I am not, may God place me there. If I am, may God keep me there. That was That's, wisdom. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, uh, you know, so oftentimes, Francis, I think we may go on and on a little too much. We have an hour for our conversation, but Joan of Arc here, St. Joan of Arc is very um, uh, succinct in her response, isn't she? <laughs> hey, if I am, I hope he keeps me there. If I'm not, I hope he puts me there. <laughs> she gives it all to God <laughs> <Conversation> on his <laughs> plate. <laughs> well, so what is a soul to do? We're left with that nagging question. So what do I do? I'm in the darkness, Francis and Mark. What, what do you want me to do now? I'll say it again. Keep praying. Engage right. in prayer. Don't miss your formal times of prayer. It's why those times that we dedicate to the office are so important, because they dictate a schedule, a routine. What is it referred to as in, in uh, the monastic life? I'm sorry, the... the um the hours of the day, I'm, I'm, um, I'm neglecting. The liturgy, to the hours, and well, the divine no, office. Um, uh, they, they have a, a, a more deliberate term, and I'm sorry. I apologize for not being able to recall it. I should. But it is essentially uh, the honorarium or the, the, the dictates of the, the, the hours of the day. They're so important to us for this simple reason, that when we get in dark moments and when we find ourselves lost, that schedule that we hopefully have set for ourselves will become our, our you know, handhold in the rock climb up the cliff. It's the one thing we can hold on to. No, every day at 7, I do this. Every day at noon, I go to Mass. At 4 o'clock, I do the rosary. Whatever it is that we've become, um, you know, routinized in, this is good. This is our strength. This is what we get to hold on to. Certainly prayer, the sacraments, and especially the Eucharist. Nothing will stop the continual flow of grace in us except for sin or a lack of trust if we put ourselves before the Eucharist. Very, very important. Of course, uh, in addition to his uh, uh, counsel that we should continue to 
pursue a deep interior life, his advocacy for the participation of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual life. Father Marie Eugène was a great devotee of the Eucharist, uh, Eucharistic devotion, uh, praise and worship to the uh, before the Eucharist, and of course communion. So keep on that path, no matter how difficult uh, the circumstances appear to become around us because the circumstances do not dictate what's actually happening in the interior. The next day is the 13th day where the emphasis is on Christ belongs entirely to us. The scripture verse used to open this 13th stage of prayer invokes the image of Christ uh, washing the feet of the disciples at the Last Supper. And for Father Marie Jeanne, this is particularly uh, a poignant image because it shows Christ expressing the very depths of his soul through the use of a gesture of service. It's his humility and how we must imitate humility. This then harkens back to the section we read earlier where Father Marie Eugene made clear that our prayer must incorporate every aspect of our nature. Here, Christ uses this almost submissive physical gesture to demonstrate quite vividly to his disciples how they are to respond, how we are to respond, how we are to serve the faithful in the future. And um, Father Marie Eugène goes on to talk about that a little bit. He says, during silent prayer, come back to that. He's referring to the uh, uh, the Lord's act of, of uh, submission. Jesus is here, he says, at our disposal to purify us, to sanctify us. The passion is transitory. Here we have his fundamental attitude. There is something eloquent and moving in this state. It does not lower our Lord. It makes him greater. This is disconcerting for us. He is the servant of our souls. He surrenders himself for us. He reaffirm her he affirms the mission that god has given him this mission places him at our disposal for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve i'm reading of course from mark 10:45 uh and to give his life as a ransom for many stay focused on christ in prayer this is what father marie jean is saying not just his divinity but as saint Teresa of avila would so strongly advocate examine his very real humanity see how he truly came to serve he is the very son of god but his mission was to serve father marie jean advises us entirely keep your eyes fixed on jesus the wisdom of the word will be manifested in darkness or in the light the soul, stripped and completely impoverished, will need to share in the sorrowful mysteries of Christ while waiting to participate in the triumph of his life within her. You know, Father Maria Jan spoke very matter-of-factly about this uh, manner of prayer to Jesus. He was known to have said from uh, people who knew him, Jesus we have come to be near you. Speak to us. Tell us about yourself. Mm-hmm. He entered into a conversation with a friend. And to this prayer, we might well uh, add our own request. Lord, tell us about ourselves as well. In this context, we know that Christ goes beyond this physical gesture of washing of feet, uh, those of his disciples. And in fact, when Peter resists this act of submission on our right. Lord's part, um, Christ helps Peter to understand something about himself, and by consequence, I might add, all of us. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus, of course, answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. 
He uses this, Christ does, as a teaching moment to help the disciples understand that this is no mere gesture. Right. Rather, it points to the much larger reality that only he, Christ, can make his disciples clean. And that includes all of us. Peter resists because he does not want his master to stoop to this level. But what Christ makes clear to Peter is not only that this is required so that Peter can be made clean, he also helps Peter understand and be prepared to bend and to stoop in the future to future disciples. In our silent prayer, we must not only allow Christ to play the role of the humble servant, which might uh, bother us, but we must also submit ourselves to the process of purification that this washing foreshadows. And then having received this gift, we ourselves must be prepared to humble ourselves and reach out to a fallen world. You know, as we study the interior castle or the progression in the material life, we have to remember we can only go so far with the ascetical life. When it, when it gets to the mystical part, the fourth mansion and onward, you know, we we become less active and God becomes the main acting force. And so it is God that must do that final purifying of those deep roots. We cannot do it by ourselves. It must be God working in us. Christ knew, of course, that he would eventually have to leave his disciples when he's um, taking this uh, action of washing their feet. And he wanted to make sure that they understood what they would need to do in his absence. Father Marie Eugène again reflects on this when he says, we are in communion with wisdom, a wisdom that blinds us. We have the impression that the Lord has disappeared. No, he has not disappeared. But you yourself are becoming Christ. This is the message of the washing of the feet. This is the uh, lesson that our Lord wanted to leave us. Yes, there is this um, time of uh, of trial and so on and so forth that he would eventually still have to go through. But he wants to leave this very clear impression to his disciples. You too must become servants. You must give and bend and and subject yourself to this role of servant. Well, this section concludes with a very appropriate and insightful description of Christ's experience for all of us who are on this journey. The Christian who has become Christ lives something of the blessedness of Mount Tabor, where the transfiguration occurs, and the suffering of Gethsemane at the same time. Gethsemane. Um, this idea of transfiguration, uh, of, of accepting our suffering, uh, is all part of what Christ wanted to impart to his disciples before his departure so that in his absence they would know how to respond. That leads us to the 14th day, which is servant of the kingdom sent by the spirit. Well, you know, anyone familiar with Carmelite spirituality knows well that our charism, the central theme and objective, of our spiritual itinerary is our prayer to live in the world as apostolic contemplatives or contemplative apostolics. Uh, we pray first and our action comes from the fruit of our prayer. We're called to live that deep life um, a, a life of deep, silent, contemplative prayer, and then to take the fruits of that prayer out into the world. And we're called to directly participate in Christ's redemptive work of salvation. Here's how Father Marie Eugène explained it. If we want to be apostles, the first thing to do is to become aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our souls so that he may be the master of our activity. The apostle is a prayerful soul who prays with the Holy Spirit. We build up the church by praying. If we do not know how to pray, we will build an edifice without cement. 
In the undertakings of our apostolate, we are the collaborators of the Holy Spirit. Whether is it a, ma- a matter of feeding the poor, giving a spiritual teaching, or administering the sacraments, the Holy Spirit is interested in all of these tasks. We are his collaborators. We need to place ourselves at his disposal. For the apostle, there is no work that is only human. Everything is linked to building the church. May the Holy Spirit show us how to be both audacious and uncomplicated in our contacts, in our teaching, in the wounds we will have to bandage and heal. May he show us how good God is and make us accept this truth. Well, you know, we have to carry the wounds of a wounded and broken world deep within our own souls. And then as contemplatives, we bring them to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, dwelling deep within us so that they may heal our world. That is our spiritual journey. And as the authors of this book make clear, our cooperation in this effort is most necessary. But God is the first mover, uh, as we know from 1 John 4, uh, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. So it's our response to the Lord. And you know, at the very beginning of our spiritual journey, we largely lead our own lives. Um, but then we're called by God and he provides the grace. But we must, just as St. John the Cross tells us, we must be active in the process of purification. But, you know, as we progress more and more, the Lord will take more and more control and our participation will become uh, not inactive, but passive. Um, I would say more surrendered. So this doesn't mean we just sit there dumb and silent in our prayer life or even less that we would no longer need to fulfill our responsibilities in life, which we do need to do. But instead, we are being called to be more clearly led by the Holy Spirit in all we do. So it's a surrender to God. It's also this time that our responsibilities begin to change. It's no longer about our merely working towards our own salvation. If we really want to accelerate that process, we will begin to take on Christ's very image. We will also begin to associate ourselves with his mission of redemption. As the authors put it, this is a turning point in our personal lives and good news for the world around us. The Spirit wants to work through us, within us. We need to let ourselves be carried off. So we're beginning to be called, we're being anointed, and we're being sent to accomplish the Father's will. But we do none of this alone. Not even Christ himself, by the way, went on his mission without first being anointed by the Holy Spirit and with power. We read in Acts, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. That's Acts 10.38. Well, I think we're going to jump to the last day, Mark, uh, because we only have about three more minutes. So um, we don't want to miss this day because it's Mary, our faithful mother. And um, the, the faithful, she who was so faithful to love, it took possession of her. So, yes, we want to be possessed by God. And there's no end to the praises we could direct toward Mary, but Father Marie Eugène echoing the words of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity uh, when she too was giving counsel on what is important to make progress in the spiritual life. Father Marie Eugène writes, Mary paid no attention to herself. Her only preoccupation was to unite herself to God. This self-detachment, this purity was what allowed God to pour himself out within her. 
St. Elizabeth of the Trinity said something very similar in, in uh, her own writings where she said, think, don't think of self, don't reflect on self, don't worry about self, just dispense with all of that. Focus on Christ, focus on your relationship, focus on the work you need to do to uh, unite yourself with Christ. Your prayers reveal to me what prayer is. Mary, a movement of our whole being toward God. That's what Mary was, a movement of her whole being constantly toward Mm -hmm. God. Well, indeed, Mary's entire life was a prayer, that constant movement toward God, which she, you know, she practiced that her entire life, both in the physical, the intellectual, and of course, in the spiritual. Uh, She's the one to imitate. This is what allowed Mary to live an entirely interior life, and this Disposition to the interior life is what made Mary our Lord's greatest collaborator in his work of salvation next to our Lord. So who can we turn to? Mary. And so we have this beautiful prayer uh, that we can use to to end our um, second conversation on Father Maria Jeanne and 15 days of prayer. These are Father Marie Eugène's words, followed by a short prayer of the authors of the book, um, Rosalind de Glare and Joël Guichard. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mary, be mother to the utmost, mother of life, mother of mercy, of this life that comes down even upon misery in order to revivify it, in order to resurrect it. I entrust my grace to you, this mustard seed. It is small and weak. Make it grow. You are my mother. I know my prayer will be answered. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I remind you, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. Next week, there'll be a conversation on vocations and and what it means to discern the call to the Carmelite life. I hope you'll take time to tune in. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.